Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And um, we will be discussing a topic today uh, that has kind of a theological title, but um, don't let the title scare you, uh, but uh, we are going to be discussing something called ecumenism, or ecumenism, um, and uh, it's kind of a fancy word for churches and Christians cooperating with one another across denominational lines. Hmm. Um, So um, we're going to be talking about something that happens all the time in the church. It happens uh, very regularly when pastors from different denominations get together in their ministerial association, when food banks open, when Bible translation is done. Um, Occasionally, there will be ecumenical efforts that are visible, visibly ecumenical, like a worship service on Easter or something Mm -hmm. like that with several different churches in a small town gathering together. And so all we're talking about today is people from other denominations cooperating. And um, the question that we ask for this topic is, to what extent should we cooperate? Um, When should we be careful about cooperating? And um, is there a biblical mandate or biblical support for an effort towards ecumenism, towards churches, Christians, uh, getting together across denominational lines? Yeah, the idea of ecumenism comes from the word oikos in Greek, which has to do with a house or a home. And so we're talking about the the home life or the the family life of Christianity. And so Christians, you could say siblings and, mm-hmm. and cousins and mm-hmm. uncles and aunts. And so that's sort of like with the Christian household, uh, the different branches of Christianity sort of dialoguing. And so, yeah, as Mark said, uh, Ecumenism can take on so many different uh, formats, or it can it can look different ways. Um, sometimes it's ecumenism for the CRC, like our mm-hmm. denomination, to have a delegation sent to the RCA, mm-hmm. our sister denomination, to discuss things, or to send people to a Roman Catholic uh, sort of dialoguing conference, or, yeah, or to the Roman Catholics and yeah. and Reformed are going to be chatting, or Anglicans and Lutherans and mm-hmm. Baptists and that's that's basically what ecumenism can look like or it can look like a christian a lutheran and a methodist hanging out in one of their backyards having burgers and talking about theology mm-hmm. that can be a sort of ecumenism on the ground um, in everyday life and so whether or not we're familiar with the word i'm sure most christians living in the modern west mm-hmm. are familiar with the practice of ecumenism yeah um, it's particularly evident in america where there are so many denominations uh, there's going to be a lot of overlap yeah. When a food bank opens, like I said earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, the gospel mission. Right. Or, they're, they're, yeah, that's another great example. Um, women's uh, health care and pregnancy center. A thrift store, you know, all these different things. Uh, a Chick-fil-A. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, just about, though. Uh, yeah. But uh, 
Humanism because, gets everybody, not yeah. just Christians. Or, I mean, Chick-fil-A gets everybody. <laughs> well, yeah, some people oppose it, I guess, on that ground. Yeah, that's but, true. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, we have a lot more opportunity for it here in America because there are so many denominations. There, there are other countries, I think, of like England, um, hmm. where there's a national church. Yeah. And so... It sort of is um, the ideal or the standard, the yeah, mainstream. It's what you're assumed to be if you are, definitely if you're a cultural Christian in England, you yeah. would be baptized in the Anglican church. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, obviously, there would be needs for ecumenism there, but there, there's just so much more of it probably happening here in the States because... Hmm. There are so many more denominations, and um, mm. many of which are evangelical and believe very, very similar things, um, and and can agree on so many core foundational beliefs of Christianity that it's great to work together. Like I think of something like the ministerial association that yeah. I've that I'm in here in Ripon, where. Um, there's a Methodist pastor, there's a United Reformed pastor, um, there's uh, a couple Christian Reformed people, um, there's a Covenant Order, I think that's the denomination that he's in, it's the Swedish Covenant, whatever yeah, used, that used yeah. to be. Covenant um, Church, Covenant Evangelical, Evangelical Covenant. Evangelical Covenant, I think, yeah. So, um, And then there's some non-denominational connections, and Pentecostal too. So uh, there is mm. just that camaraderie that we have as pastors, um, believing in Christ, believing that God's word is true. We get together, we pray for one another. Um, yeah, another, an RCA pastor does come to some of those as well, Reformed Church in America. And so, um, that's kind of how it looks normally. Um, and the text that is often regarded as the slam dunk proof text for ecumenical (laughs) efforts is John 17. Yeah. Um, anybody who engages in this kind of work knows extensively, um, especially people in seminaries who are going to really calling on their students to do more across denominational lines for better, for worse, um, are going to quote John 17. And so, yeah, it's worth bringing up. Yeah. Um, that's where Jesus is giving his prayer, uh, offering a prayer up to the father, uh, before he, um, goes to the cross and in John 17, 20 through 23, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, meaning his disciples, uh, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so, particularly that verse 21, the second part of what I read, that says, hmm. the unity of the church is going to be a witness to the world yeah. of the love of God for us and um, the unity even that the Father and the Son have. It's a really extremely profound, genius idea uh, that Jesus is is praying, and um, it's a high standard. It's a huge call Mm. on the church to to love one another, to live at peace with other believers um, as much as as possible. And and so that would include, for the ecumenical movement, doing ministry alongside one another, not being um, opposed to efforts of a nearby church, um, sort of uh, trying to uh, have almost competition between churches um, instead of having a kingdom mentality. Yeah, I think one of the things that this prayer assumes is that division is possible within the church. Um, 
some ecclesiologies or understandings of what it means to be the church, hmm. such as, I would argue, a Roman Catholic ecclesiology sort of believes that there can ever and always only be the one true church, and its unity is not really under threat as long as we have a pope and we have the bishops and we have the sort of structure of the church. Mm-hmm. There's the church. That's yep. the one church. And so that 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 doesn't square well from with me and how this passage seems to be articulating that it's possible for a division to come. Mm-hmm. Jesus is praying that we would be one because there's a possibility of us not being one. Yeah. And there's a tendency amongst Christians to not be fully united. Um, so Paul also says, well, uh, I shouldn't say also, John wrote seven, John 17, but Paul in, in his epistle to the Romans in chapter 15 and verses 5 and 6 prays this prayer for the Romans. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And so he's asking God on their behalf that they would have a spirit of unity. We see this also reflected throughout the letter of Philippians, for example, where Paul is begging for unity, for them to count one another more significant than themselves. He's urging Euodia and Syntyche, these two unknown women in the church, to agree, to find unity. And so this idea of unity... Mm -hmm. uh, we, is all throughout the scriptures. Also in Ephesians 4, um, it's talking about how the church is organized so that the, the saints may grow and the saints may be equipped for ministry. And so it says this in chapter 4, verse 13, uh, the church is organized this way until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so we are put together to attain unity. It doesn't mean we always have perfect unity, but that we are attaining it. We are striving towards it. And so I think seen this way, ecumenism isn't just a uh, a secondary peripheral mandate, but it's pretty central to who we are as Christians, that we should seek to establish, maintain, and uh, keep up and fight for the unity of the church. And so we want to see where we have unity with Christians that we're divided from. We want to see what we can learn from them, what we can hopefully teach them, and how we can strive together as much as we're able to seek peace and to uh, live in unity with one another. Yeah, this is, um, in response to Jesus' prayer, um, who said that we need to be unified so that the world may see that that the Lord is is with us, is uh, is acting in the world in a, a kind of a unified, clear way with a clear direction, mm. um, and and this improves the evangelism of the church. Um, I, that is one of the main criticisms of the church in particularly America, where yeah. there are so many denominations, and um, the Christians need to get. A little bit more thoughtful, I think, in responding to that criticism because it act- is actually an, a very thin criticism. I would say um, yeah. that uh, the fact that somebody would drive through Ripon and find um, fourteen churches or something like that, mm-hmm. and then automatically assume all these churches must hate each other. They must just be 
you know, badgering so, one another yeah, so and competing for the souls of these, you know, mm-hmm. 10 people who are interested in church right now and ripping. And it's like, that's kind of the assumption of that accusation against denominationalism. Sometimes that even comes from Roman Catholics uh, oh, yeah. who, who would say, oh, look at all these churches. You know, Linden is another place that I've done ministry, Linden, Washington. And mm-hmm. same thing. I mean, you almost literally have a church on every corner downtown there. Mm-hmm. Um, like there is one corner in Linden with three churches on it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so they, they again look at that and say, oh, you're, you're just a bunch of uh, people who can't get along with one another. And I don't, I don't think you want to over dismiss that too easily because sometimes that is true that there is squabbling and divisiveness, bitterness in the church that is not Christian at all. Yeah. But at the same time, to to say, you know, um, the churches here in Ripon, we love one another. We we preach the same gospel. We uh, do things differently. Worship is going to be different from one church to the next. Um, there's going to be various different things, and that's a good thing because there's freedom of religion in America, mm-hmm. and so we don't all have to believe in lockstep with one pope. That's or what one. largely accounts for the the multiplicity yeah. of denominations. The, the real in America freedom of religion so yeah. that's that's mark dever i've once heard put it that way is that's his response to the denominational accusation is that well we have freedom of religion and that's real here and so we don't all have to believe exactly the same thing mm-hmm. that is told to us from on high somewhere and so that that's one approach but maybe even the the more positive approach would be to say we believe the creed uh, we believe the gospel. We believe we take the word of God as the only infallible rule for life and godliness and doctrine. And we all do that. And, and the Christian church is in this town. And so mm. uh, the divisiveness argument is way overblown, I would say. Yeah. Uh, this, so for some people, this sort of attitude that we, we are already exhibiting mm-hmm. of I would say friendliness overall yeah. towards a other desire Christians. to be unified. Yeah. Um, some Calvinists um, would be pretty upset by this. Oh yeah. There's people um, rolling their eyes at us right who now. Are already, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I what, for me, one of the things I think about is a quote you shared this Sunday that we read in the biography on Bavink um, uh, about Bavink when he comes to America, I think mm. it was in the 1890s. Was it 1893? Mm-hmm. He gives a lecture to American Reformed students. I mm-hmm. think was it at Princeton? Could be wrong on the yeah, details he, he here. He traveled all over, so I don't know exactly uh, where it was. But, yeah. but one of the final quotes from this lecture he gives, or maybe what's the last line back. of the whole lecture? Maybe it's when he goes back to the Netherlands. I can't remember. Yeah. But the last line is that Calvinism is not the only truth, which will sound like a grand postmodern statement. Yeah. Um, I don't think postmodernism was really even a thing. <laughs> maybe in its embryonic stage yeah. uh, by then. but um, I think the whole point was the, seeing the humility yeah, of like, of, we need other believers. Yeah, Calvinism is not the only Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have the monopoly on, on the gospel. Um, and that's coming from Bavink, who it would be really hard to argue <laughs> his reformed and orthodox, even conservative credentials. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... That's really helpful in, in, in guiding our thinking, I think, as Reformed Christians in America today. I, I personally have a background of being outside the Reformed Church. Hmm. Um, came to faith through a 
Baptist church as a kid and then really was mentored and discipled in a formerly Methodist, but at that point, non-denominational church. Uh, and then in seminary was attending uh, an Anglican church. And so I think a lot of that informs my appreciation for other Christians. Um, mm. While at the same time, I, I, out of conviction, moved into the Reformed world because of the fact that I believed it was more accurate to Scripture. Mm. Um, and I think a good full-blooded Methodist or a good full-blooded Lutheran or non-denominational person will believe they're doing what they're doing mm-hmm. for the same reason. At least mm-hmm. I would hope so. Mm. Yeah, there's... Um, I, I think um, one thing that we get hung up on with ecumenism is that uh, sometimes we're talking about two different things and there can be ships passing in the night when people have conversations about this. And so and on one hand, ecumenical effort should always be sought on a spiritual level. So mm. when I meet um, the the pastor of the Pentecostal church, I should be be glad to see them be mm-hmm. uh, praying for their ministry. If like we were going to sit and he says, oh, you know, we're, we're just having a rough go over there. And mm. uh, that should break my heart. And what I would want to see Christ exalted and worshiped and, mm. um, and, proclaimed in in that church and so to me that's what i would call spiritual ecumenism hmm. and that is different than organizational ecumenism yeah. so yeah. I, I think that it's important to draw the distinction between what is spiritual and what is organizational now ideally organizational ecumenism will sort of come uh, be birthed out of spiritual a spiritual desire to hmm. be one to be united that's kind of what where the catholic Mm. Um, response would be it would be to say well if we're really spiritually ecumenical if we really want to be together then we should be one church we need to be structurally yeah we need to be organizationally the same body yeah um and i would actually disagree with that that it's fine that um that there are a handful of churches in town that only baptize believers and we baptize infants of course and new believers as well Mm -hmm. um and and it's okay that we worship in different churches so long as we have a desire for, I would say, spiritual ecumenism and, and unity mm-hmm. in the body of Christ. Yeah, I think maybe this is this is a controversial topic in the whole realm of ecumenism and ecumenical conversations, but I think it's okay to strive towards organizational unity. Mm, yeah, yeah, that should be a goal, in my opinion. Now, this is this is debated, I think, in the in the Reformed and Protestant worlds. Um, to what extent can we be organizationally united to the Roman Catholic Church? Hmm. Unless Roman Catholicism capitulates on <laughs> on Roman Catholicism, there and or unless or unless we, we capitulate <laughs> yeah. on our side, there's really not going to be yeah. any unity. But um, I would argue that still somehow there should be a sense that that would be a good way to to head somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that will happen, and we have to imagine new ways of of existence as Christians. And in this regard, I I did find a controversial 2016 book called the end of Protestantism quite helpful by Peter Lightheart. It's provocative. Um, he argues for what he calls the reformational Catholic church, which seems sort of like a synthesis 
of the two, um, which would mean ultimately a capitulation more for Roman Catholicism than it would for Protestantism. And, and for Baptists, I think, too, right? Didn't he sort of say that this is going to be an infant, a, a, yeah. a paedo-baptist? It would be a paedo-baptist um, church. Complementarian, yeah. I think, as well. And so it's yeah. like, it, ha- it had a grand, mm-hmm. I read an article, I think, that he wrote for Yeah, the, the article is what started the whole thing. Yeah, and then yeah. there was a a discussion between him and a few other theologians and then finally he wrote the book. Um, yeah, it seemed a bit triumphalistic to me because it was like, and yeah. this church will look like my theology. Yes, ba- totally. It, it yeah. did seem like that. Uh, <laughs> that's a good criticism of the book. Um, but that's what the, the desire is a noble one, I yeah. would say. So he is essentially reading John 17 and this whole idea of being one, like, well, if Jesus prays it, it's going to someday mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. Now, some people will say that that someday will be prior to the eschaton. Mm. He would say that. And so we should, because that's our future reality, we should strive for that reality to be so. In the same way that as we are united in Christ and, and justified as sinners, we should strive in our lives to have our reality our daily lives match up with our spiritual uh status before god we are justified before god and so Hmm. we are we are we should live as we truly are it's sort of paul's argument from romans chapter six um don't keep giving into sin don't submit your your body at your the members of your body to unrighteousness but give them to god become a slave of of righteousness Uh, live as you are you're dead to sin so live as if you are dead to sin because it's true and so in the same sort of way, Lightheart argues that we're going to be one somehow, someday. We should start living like it now. Um, I, I do find that basic thrust of his argument compelling. Um, one day we'll be united with all Christians throughout time and space hmm. in heaven. Yeah. And so if that's the case... We should start to try to strive towards unity as much as we possibly can here. Will it be perfect? No. Will we ever see it in our lifetimes? Definitely not. Mm. But should we at least have that idea and that attitude, that disposition? I think so. Yeah. I. Um, along with that, I, I like to think of ecumenic, ecumenical efforts. So these, again, uh, to put some some flesh on that maybe for people who are this is a new idea uh, yeah. th- think of um a uh, a food bank a food bank is opening and um there's going to be christians from all over the place mm-hmm. uh, or think of a, like for my in my prison ministry there are a lot of pentecostal people in mm-hmm. prison ministry and mm-hmm. uh and there's going to be people from all different denominations we're going to go into the prison we're going to preach the gospel and talk about communication skills and financial planning and, and all of that kind of stuff that a lot of these guys have maybe never heard before. And so um, so thinking about those contexts, uh, it has been my experience that uh, as much as I'm, I'm able, I, I try to uh, work alongside, hmm. uh, make sure that it is the, the real gospel that's being carried forth and, and brought to um, people who would visit a food bank or a gospel mission or um, a prison ministry, um, and to kind of learn to celebrate some of the differences instead of like I know mm-hmm. in our reformed conservative context there would be 
people who would go into those arenas with their backup pretty quick about like, oh, you're you're Pentecostal. I know everything I need to know about you already. Yeah. Um. And yeah. And in, instead of saying, I'm glad you're here doing ministry with me. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you're at the food bank today helping us feed the poor. Um. I think that's what Jesus is. Is start it. Of course, he's getting at more than that, but that's the starting place to me is yeah. a gladness about the body of Christ. A to be what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, a peacemaker, for you will be called sons of God. A peacemaker has a good attitude towards other Christians Hmm. um, and doesn't have to, five minutes into the conversation, get into a discussion on eschatology or um, baptism or uh, how Hmm. a church is governed. It's like maybe... (laughs) we could just focus on the basics of scripture, the basics of the gospel, particularly for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. Um, and, and I think of first Corinthians 12, where you have um, mm. all these different parts of the body of Christ. And now we often will think of that in terms of a church that has some people who are good at um, organizing, some people who are good at speaking, some people mm. who are good at serving or planning or, or so forth leadership. I think we could, expand that also to kind of denominational identities and say Mm -hmm. certain denominations are um like i I believe our reformed denomination is very clear thinking and and that is our heritage um Mm -hmm. hopefully that remains i don't know sometimes we're not very (laughs) clear thinking lately but um but to be more systematic in how we approach Mm -hmm. scripture wanting to artistically and poetically even communicate some very profound truths of scripture. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the great um, additions that you might say that the reformed church brings to Christendom. Mm-hmm. And there would be other denominations that would bring an emphasis on authentic worship mm-hmm. and joyful worship. Um, and now there would be some in the reformed camp that turn an, an idol turn uh, mm. intellectualism into an idol. There would be some in the other in other camps that turn worship style into an idol. But but overall, I think that we can look at other denominations and say, what are they doing mm. really well that we can learn from? And, yeah. and that is the at the core of 1 Corinthians 12 is, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to say to the ear or the foot, I don't need you because we do mm. need to learn from one another. Yeah, in this sense, we could think of ecumenism like a family reunion, and this yeah. family reunion is a potluck. Yeah, right. Everybody's right. going to be bringing their best dish, you <laughs> sure. know. And what are we all bringing to the table? And we're all bringing great things, delicious foods, and the sum of it is better than its parts, right? That's that's sort of the Catholic mm-hmm. vision of of ecumenism. It's a sharing of gifts, a sharing of blessings, and so when we live ecumenically with other Christians. Um, we can share our gifts, the strengths of our traditions, and we can learn from their strengths as well. This isn't to say that all traditions are equal or equally strong or yeah. valuable. Yeah. Um, it's not to say that we're all just equally biblical. I think one yeah. way or another, some, some traditions are more biblical than others. Yeah. Um, but there isn't to say we can't learn from other Christians. And so we should be wanting to be recipients as far as possible 
of other Christians. Uh, we want to be recipients of the blessings of others. I, I'm teaching a class right now in our Sunday school for the adults on the sort of the Christian family tree. So we're looking at different communions or denominations of Christianity, uh, groupings of Christianity throughout history. And so we've looked at the Roman Catholicism, we've looked at Eastern Orthodoxy now, and the weeks ahead we'll be looking at Coptic Orthodoxy because there's a Coptic church in our, in our town. Mm. We'll be looking at Methodism, uh, Baptist theology, um, Mennonites, we'll be looking at um, sort of revivalistic, the holiness movement. Mm. We'll be looking at liberal Christianity at some point. That'll be an interesting conversation. And then mm-hmm. we're looking at sort of neo-evangelicalism. Mm. Um, and so with all these things... There's lots of points of differences that we'll have as Reformed Christians. Um, that's undeniable. And it's important to be absolutely honest about those things and to not make little of them. But mm-hmm. I think there's a lot we can learn from each one. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so what I'm hoping is that we have a hermeneutic of sympathy mm-hmm. um, for each group, even though we may have really, really deep disagreements with them. Uh we should love them as much as we're as we're able to, and and see what gifts they might they might bless us with. Um, so something this 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 last weekend with orthodoxy, I talked mm. a lot about our differences. One of the big ones being monergism or synergism mm-hmm. in salvation. Um, but one of the things I love about orthodoxy is its tenacity in holding to Christian tradition, and how that has given them a ballast that undeniably evangelicalism. Yeah. lacks yeah. I think yeah. and sort of seems to be all over the place always going for the next fad or the next theological or cultural trend um, orthodoxy is sort of not they don't care about the <laughs> cultural trends right uh, they care about passing something on and I think mm. that that's not only a good thing but it's a biblical thing yeah. as well yeah that's a great point I think this is one of those episodes too that might when somebody reads the title might not seem like the most important issue but i think that as our uh, american culture drifts further and further away from a christian worldview now i'm, I'm not hmm. necessarily arguing that you know the, the christian nation whether or not we are or have been one but certainly every christian could agree that there are many cultural movements right now that oppose biblical christianity um hmm. and so as this happens and grows in intensity i think ecumenical work across denominational lines will become even more important yeah um because the church uh in our lifetime is probably going to get smaller Hmm. in Mm -hmm. in america um i i don't really foresee a a very rosy future for mega churches for example as Hmm. culture moves hard and fast away from um the gospel uh a biblical ethic I, I don't see um, 30 years from now yeah, huge auditoriums being packed out with people who are just curious about. And now if, there, if a revival happens and if there's a big turn in our culture, maybe that could continue to happen. But what I do foresee mm-hmm. is uh, Christians needing to get together more and work together on things, mm-hmm. um, whether that's through a Christian school or, um, again, food bank, uh, gospel mission, prison ministry, if we're going to really do things that impact uh, more than just outside our church, um, hmm. I think that it's going to require a desire to be ecumenical, a desire to work alongside people of other denominations. So 
Um, yeah. th- that's that isn't any kind of a doomsday prophecy. I think it's kind of realistic. I was just listening to Mortification of Spin today, and they talked with Rod Dreher, who mm. um, Rod Dreher has written a book where he interviewed people who lived in kind of Eastern Bloc Europe. Um, it's called Live, Live Not by Lies, and yeah, communist, oppressive, um, anti-Christian governments there. And one of the things that he said is small groups mattered so much. Hmm. And um, now he has some pretty dire predictions for American culture in mm-hmm. the near future. And I don't, I don't know if I'm as quite where he is, but I do think that min- local ministry, small ministry across denominational lines is going to be one of the lifebloods of hmm. the Christian faith in definitely by the time that we retire. I think a big part of that sort of ecumenism then will be based on friendships. Yeah. People being friends, learning to be a good friend, learning to be somebody who is hospitable, who loves sharing meals with other people, who loves, you know, visiting with, with people and just talking or playing some games and then having meaningful conversations about things that really matter. Uh, that sort of stuff will become, I think, more and more foreign in the next 30, 40, 50 years. But it will become all the more important for Christians to build strong bonds of unity Hmm. and to build strong communities and to continue being a light in the darkness. Um, And that will happen through ecumenism. That's why I think Jesus makes such an emphasis on the world seeing the oneness of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, He prays that they would... all Christians would all be one so that the world will know that you father have sent me. Um, and so the unity of Christians will be a witness to the unity of God and to the love of God. Uh, and so that is going to be important. So do we, are we good at being friends? That could be a question mm-hmm. we ask. Are we good at befriending particularly other Christians? Um, we, there's a lot of talk for good reason about befriending non-Christians, which we should do. Uh, but we should also be thinking about, am I the kind of person who is good at making friends with Christians? I know a lot of times young people today in the church sort of have a bad taste in their mouth of, of Christianity, and sometimes that can be justified, more or less. Uh, but we should want to have have deep friendships with other Christians and I think from there, when we can have friendships of love with other Christians of other types, other sorts, that is a that's good soil for ecumenism to happen. Yeah, and this is an area of growth, I think, for every Christian as we start to wrap this up. I personally, um, as people could probably tell in my preaching, I'm very proud of Reformed theology and and uh, our Reformed theological heritage. And so, hmm. at times, I can sinfully disregard something that I would consider um, yeah, not as theologically helpful, even though somebody might have something pretty good to say. Um, and this person could be in line with Christ, reading their Bible. Um, I can get a little bit focused on the, the sort of the first Corinthians Pauline warning of, you know, these Corinthians who say, you know, one follows Paul, one follows Peter, and and the next follows Jesus. But we, we really all follow <laughs> Christ. And so... I, I can draw up lines a little bit too quickly in my own mind if I'm encountering someone. And so it's, yeah. it's an area of repentance for me. Um, and and I, I hope that that repentance doesn't 
doesn't really require that all of a sudden we become fuzzy on all our beliefs and we have to be vague and um, I think I'm going to always remain pretty proud of uh, the great theology that hmm. that reformed ministers have handed down but um, I, I hope that that doesn't get in the way of just having a good kind attitude towards um, a Pentecostal or uh, hmm. some other person from reformed uh, Roman Catholic person um, I think that maybe each listener needs to ask the question of uh, which ditch do they fall in? We can talk a lot about double ditches here. There's the the mm. one ditch is to be so precise that you cannot cooperate. You can't go into a prison with a Pentecostal because of they believe this other this thing that you don't really don't like. I would say that's one ditch because the gospel mm. matters more than our petty theological differences. Um, and the ditch on the other side is to have no backbone, have no solidity of our beliefs and just say, oh, we're all just getting along and it doesn't even matter um, if babies are baptized or if, um, if women can preach. Or, um, like, yeah. I, I, think, I think those yeah. things do matter. Uh, but to say in many contexts the gospel matters more is kind of the, should, should be the default to me. Yeah, so that's probably a, a a burning question some listeners may be having right now is, well, then where do we draw the lines? Yeah, where can we? Where do we need to be ecumenical with someone, and where do we need to evangelize someone? Mm-hmm. Um, so, one big one that people are probably asking would be, can we be ecumenical with a Roman Catholic, with a convinced, strong Roman Catholic, or do we need to be evangelistic hmm. with it, with with them? Or a similar question could be, how do we handle a Mormon, a convinced Mormon? Or thirdly, how do we handle, let's say, a really progressive Christian? Mm-hmm. Um, so with those yeah. three figures <laughs> as examples, yeah. would you ecumenize or evangelize? Uh, well, it, it certainly depends on the context. Uh, if we're at a food bank working i hmm. hate come mormons come progressive christians come roman catholics yeah. I, if, if there's work to be done and and you're you know uh rebuilt you know painting someone's house for love ripping day love ripping is sort of the big service day mm-hmm. that we have each year it's like I, I don't think that we need to get obsessively there could be muslims buddhists yeah. for all we know it's yeah. just a citywide event let's go for it um i would say in anything involving theology like where teaching will will happen hmm. uh we would need to be a little bit more careful like a prison ministry sort yeah. of thing so um yeah in in prison ministry at a gospel mission a lot of teaching mm-hmm. happens there there's an approach to transformation there mm-hmm. um that is going to involve some theology uh and the more teaching that happens overtly specifically i would say the more careful we need to be with hmm. our ecumenical efforts and so obviously then that means at church on sunday um, we need to be careful about who comes to preach from our pulpit. That it would be yeah. the, the narrowest. Um, yeah. it, you know, it needs to be somebody who is reformed, who we've mm-hmm. kind of vetted and who we have a, a good confidence in that this person mm. is able to expound the scriptures, not just in general, in a gospel mm. way, but from a reformed perspective. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of, of explaining that. I, I, I've always been pretty convinced that the centrality of the Nicene Creed mm-hmm. is, for me, really just 
that's basically the fault line. Um, some people would disagree and say that that's too minimalistic. Um, but for me, I, I sort of think if I was in a foreign land doing missions work <laughs> and my life was, uh, was under threat because I'm a Christian trying to reach people uh, with the gospel and I happened to meet an Eastern Orthodox priest who was doing missions work there, I would be extremely overjoyed mm-hmm. to meet that person, mm-hmm. I think. Um, they may not be as overjoyed to meet me. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they would. Yeah. Um, but I would be really excited to meet somebody who agreed on who God is and what God has done. Yeah, and Christ. you wrote here in our notes the ecumenism of the trenches, right? Yeah, and this so, this yeah. gets at that. That's a phrase t- coined, I think, by Chuck Colson, mm-hmm. Charles Colson of the Colson Center and Prison yeah, Fellowship. Prison yeah. Fellowship, yeah. Um, and so he says that there's a lots of common cause between Christians uh, that can bring us together, such as pro-life or traditional family values or sexuality views on sexuality and so on. Uh, those give us common cause and so those bring us into fellowship with one another um and i think there's something to that that's Mm -hmm. something i deeply respect about a publication like first things where there's plenty of of different christians dialoguing all from a generally conservative Mm -hmm. standpoint some more than others but there's these fundamental agreements particularly on cultural issues and on and on theological areas of first importance Mm -hmm. which is what the nicene creed or the apostles creed uh, are all about Um, i think when we have a correct understanding of the of the doctrine of god and who he is that's so much common ground that for me i feel as if if you really believe that i'm willing to call you a brother or sister Mm -hmm. um that's where I stand. I know not everybody agrees <laughs> with that. I, I can hear people in my head saying, no, you're wrong. Um, but for me, if you really agree with it. So I would say just for the, the three the three uh, examples I said, mm-hmm. I would say I mean, we can enter into ecumenical dialogue with a Roman Catholic. We cannot with a Mormon and with a liberal it depends. Protestant. It depends, but I would say mostly not. I'm familiar with a lot of mainline Christians who hold their, they cross their fingers when they recite the apostles creed Mm. because they really don't believe any of it. They don't believe the virgin birth. They don't Mm. believe that Jesus is really the son of God and that he rose from the grave. Mm -hmm. Um, The forgiveness of sins is sort of a blip on the biblical story and what matters is kingdom. And yeah. Right. Yep. And so you may recite it, but unless you really agree with it, I can't call you a, a brother or a sister in Christ. That's that's where I'm at. So I think there's plenty of room for dialogue with Catholics, with Orthodox, with Baptists, Methodists, and everybody else. Um, and so... Yeah, so in some of those cases you're saying then evangelism must be happening for the Mormon and uh, mm-hmm. for the, the progressive uh, so-called Christian who is, who is actually more of a humanist yeah. Than a than a Christian who sees yeah. the world with the same problems that mm-hmm. the Bible does and the same solution that the Bible offers. Yeah. Um, if people want to read more about this, there is a book um, called "One Faith No Longer" by George Yancey, who's a sociologist. Mm. Who he he just wrote a book about um, how progressive Christianity and conservative Christianity are actually two different religions, 
And um, I think his hmm. his two questions are, um, what does Christ do? And um, is the Bible the inerrant word of God? And so basically, huh. if you have very different answers to those questions, it's it's a different religion, if we're just going to be honest, um, because that's, mm. that's, again, talking about the problem of the world, what God is really like. Um, at a certain point, you can just say, well, we're not really talking about the same thing here anymore. So that's why I said yeah. it's difficult, because many in um, some more mainline, quote-unquote, liberal denominations, some people in those denominations do believe the Apostles' Creed wholeheartedly, and they love and preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. They love Christ. Um mm-hmm. They could even preach from our same confessions, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but then some in those denominations really are understanding the world from a completely different perspective. And mm-hmm. so, for example, at a, at a gospel mission, they're going to have a totally different approach to transformation for an alcoholic than hmm. the Christian who, along with counseling, really wants to get to the spiritual need of the person. Otherwise, counseling is just... Um, is just uh, kind of masking what is really a, a core issue underneath that is the person's sin mm. and the need for regeneration. So, yeah. um, so anyways, I, it's we could talk uh, for a really long time about all the <laughs> other um, places that churches should cooperate, um, all the ways, uh, maybe nuanced conversations about hmm. uh, you know denominational differences. But um, I think if I, if I were to summarize this, I would say there should always be a desire for the Christian to have spiritual unity with fellow believers and um, and to have an ecumenical heart is a good thing, Um, but also to maintain the core of your faith, to be open-minded towards others but not empty-headed in that you're just going to go with the flow and, and do whatever some other church yeah. is doing without any without even giving it any thought. That's what ecumenism in the 20th century sort of looked like yeah. was a just a flimsy yeah. let's just hang out and sing kumbaya sort of thing. Uh, I also want to say mm. just to clarify my point earlier, I think it's still worthwhile talking to a Roman Catholic in a way to tr- to convince them mm. that the Roman Catholic faith is flawed, deeply mm-hmm. flawed, mm-hmm. and that they would do well to find, or to, to turn to Reformation, uh, yeah. turn to the Reformation. Uh, and so that that's still on the table, but we can talk that out as brothers, I think. Um, yeah. And we have a common basis. Um, we have a shared tradition, and we have a shared scripture. And so we can, we can argue that out. Um, but yeah, that, yeah, I just wanted to clarify that point. All right. Well, uh, I, I confess that Zach has put a lot more work into this one than me, and so uh, thanks <laughs> hey, for. I all, think you had a lot of good things to all, say. All the hard work uh, doing the research and um, and getting this ready. So uh, we we hope that it's been a blessing to you, and uh, yeah. please continue to spread the word. Our our listenership is actually increasing a little bit, and so that's exciting. Um, uh, particularly if in, you're in the Ripon area, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out, yeah, uh, if you're listening, and uh, um, it would even be kind of cool to meet with other people who are, are listening and have a coffee or maybe a round table someday. Yeah, that would be um, cool with people who are local. So, uh, God bless you in the rest of your week. Have a good one. Grace and peace, you guys.